West Bulls, good morning. To all the men in the room, happy Father's Day, and thank you for being here. And I know that's a tough decision for guys, because this morning we woke up and Kara said, it's your day, what do you want to do today? I said, let's skip church. (laughs) And she said, well, pastor, that's not going to work. So, also, will you thank our ladies of the church for um, ushering this morning? Uh, after what I just experienced at offering, we might make that every week because Emily Gothier, she, she walked up with the offering plate during prayer and hit me with it, and she said, you better give. <laughs> and so um, I like it. I like it. We, you may see them back next week and every week. So um, also, you know, I, I feel badly, men, because on Mother's Day, we give, we give out flower seeds. I thought, well, what do you give men? Like, I thought about ordering mower blades for every guy that walked through the doors this morning or just a side of steak, but uh, just financially, that just wasn't going to work. So anyhow, thank you for being here this morning. As you just saw in the, in the intro video, we have been going through this series called Doing Today a Different Way. And uh, we've got a couple weeks left on that before we move into something new. But the whole premise of the whole thing is every single day when you and I wake up, we have a choice. We have a choice to live for our kingdom or God's kingdom. And so we've been talking about this, and we've been talking about different dynamics that we come up against, but also what does the kingdom of God look like, and what does living for that every single day look like? And so to talk about what we want to talk about today, I actually need to talk to you about our son Lincoln's t-ball team, okay? This is like, Nathan, what is it, four and five-year-olds? Four to six. Okay, Nathan Reynolds is the coach of the t-ball team here. So Lincoln's got a couple buddies from the church on that team. Kean Reynolds and Bryson Kettle are part of it. And this t-ball team, um, I, I had to significantly adjust my expectations when, uh, when, I, when I saw them. Because sometimes we have three left fielders and no center fielder and no right fielder. <laughs> And um, sometimes the t-ball stand, I was telling uh, the choir a while back, it it actually throws a no-hitter because we're we're still learning how to make contact with the ball. And and so I I just, I have to adjust my expectations, but that that was hard at first. In fact, I remember one game, um, Kean Reynolds, he, he was at second base, but he was not playing second base. He was sitting down, like, drawing in the sand at second base. And um, Bryson Kettle, actually, he, he is great at hitting. Um, in fact, he hit one during one game, took off running to the base. The problem was he was running to third base when, um, after he'd hit it. And, and I saw a kid on another team actually hit the ball. He ran to first, ran to the pitcher's mound, ran to second, ran to third, ran to the pitcher's mound, ran home. <laughs> But I thought, okay, well, I've worked with Lincoln. I mean, we've spent some time in the backyard outside of practice throwing and hitting and fielding and catching, and so I thought he'll be good. So, first game, first game, he's out in the field. I think he was playing shortstop, and they all have a ready position that they were taught. And so he goes into a ready position, not the one they were taught. He went into the Karate Kid crane pose. The karate, here's proof right here. This is from a video. There he is. I do know this. Nobody is stealing third base against our team. 
nobody. <laughs> but as, as I saw that, I thought, oh my gosh, like I'm banking on a major league contract. I mean, that's our, that's our whole retirement right there. Um, it's going to be a scholarship to college and then a major league contract. And, and I'm looking at this going, oh my gosh. And, and I was actually feeling a little stressed out inside. And I know they're four to six years old, but um, this was a big deal inside of me for a little bit. Um, because as I looked at this, I just thought, it's never going to happen. Like, my kid doesn't even know what sport he's playing right now. And it's just never going to happen. And, and I realized that actually says something about our human nature. And it's simply this, that we often estimate what is possible by what is visible. We often estimate what is possible in the future, possible with our lives, by what is visible in front of us right now. In fact, you, you likely know that already because there are situations as you go through your day, as you do today a different way, when you think about it, isn't there a, a circumstance, maybe there's a job situation where you just think it's never going to change. There's a relationship, maybe with some tension, and you just think it's never going to change. And why? Because of what you see right in front of you. And so, knowing that that moment has come, is here or will come, I think one of the best things we could do is look at, it's just three verses this morning, three verses that Jesus shared with a crowd one day. We're in Matthew 13 again, but these three verses highlight a very important truth we've got to know. Listen to this. This is Matthew chapter 13, and Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of all garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. One truth that I want you to walk away with this morning. And it's, it's a truth that I believe has the potential to truly impact how we walk through every single day. And it's simply this, that seeing what's possible for God means looking past what's visible to me. Seeing what is possible for God means looking past what's visible to me. And my prayer would be that as we, as we flesh this out a little bit this morning, that you will understand, that you will be informed by, but also um, persuaded by and motivated by the very words that Jesus just spoke, because it really highlights four different places that we can move from what's visible to considering, to pondering, but also to looking for as we walk through each day, what is possible for God. The first of those is simply this, that to him, the smallest beginning is valuable. The smallest beginning is valuable. Read this again with me. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of all garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Do you notice that word? A seed. A seed. You and I don't think much of seeds. I mean, a seed is no more distinguishable than a piece of gravel, 
or a piece of dirt. But he didn't say a piece of gravel or a piece of dirt because those have no life potential in them. He said a seed because a seed is inherent. A seed carries within it all this potential for life. And yes, it needs care and it needs nourishment, but a seed actually carries the potential. He says the kingdom of heaven, it is like a seed that starts so small. And I started thinking about all the new beginnings that we go through in life. And, and beginnings are fun when they're big, but Jesus says, you know what, no, the, the smallest beginning is valuable. It is valuable because it carries with it all kinds of potential. All kinds of potential. I mean, this makes sense to us. You would, you would never look at a fourth grader and say, oh man, well, it's time to give up. They're not going to grow any more than they have. Lincoln's, Lincoln's never going to get out of Karate Kid crane pose, and he might not actually, but, but you wouldn't think that about a child. You would know that's not the end of their growing. It's not the end of the growth. I mean, I, I grew one inch since fourth grade. There was more growth that happened, okay? But this is what we do. We look at new beginnings, and if it doesn't feel big, then it's easy to look past it. It's easy to overlook it. I was reading not too long ago about um, if you were on a plane, this is just so interesting, I can't remember where I read it. If you were on a plane leaving from New York City and you were flying to Los Angeles, it would take you over Death Valley. Death Valley, California, out in California. If you were to adjust the heading of that plane, one degree, just one degree, instead of ending near Death Valley, you know where you end? Palm Springs, California, one degree. One degree. And I think he looks at our lives, and you know what he says? He says, you know, it's possible because of human nature, the human condition, you're headed for Death Valley. One degree. One decision to follow Christ takes you away from Death Valley, doesn't it? To something that many would say, Palm Springs, paradise, right? The smallest beginning is valuable in his eyes. The second thing that you see in this par- these parables is that the most, un- the most unlikely candidate is redeemable. The smallest beginning is valuable, the most unlikely candidate is redeemable. Read this again with me. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, the thing you got to know, and the thing that I think is just so interesting, is that Jesus, when he was telling this story to relate to, to the people there and to us, he chose yeast. Okay, if, if you know anything about that culture, yeast was, this was not a good symbol in their history, in their culture, throughout scripture. Yeast has several negative connotations, and yet I have to, I have to think that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He said, no, 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 it's like, it's like yeast that a woman mixed into flour. But I think about the conversations that I have with people often, and you know what comes out? People think of themselves the way people at that time thought about yeast. I'm not, I'm not worthy to be used. I'm unclean. I don't have any good about me. In fact, people say things, you've heard this, they say, oh, gosh, if I entered, if I went through the doors of the church, it would fall over. Have you heard that? 
Have you said that? But as I think through the people, the faces in the Bible that God used, this statement makes perfect sense. I mean, think about it. You had Moses, right? God looked at Moses and he said, you, I want to use you. Moses had blood on his hands. He had murdered an Egyptian. And Moses fought back against God. You know what he said? He said, not me. Not me. You know what? God, find somebody else. And God said, no, I'm using you. And he used Moses. You get to the prophet Jeremiah. You know what Jeremiah said? God, I'm only a child. I don't know how to speak. And God said, no, you're going to go to who I send you, and you're going to speak the words I give you. And he used Jeremiah. There was, do you remember, maybe, uh, it's a strange name, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was a grandson of Saul, King Saul, who had tried to kill David before David was king. And when David became king, the first, one of the first things he did was he tried to find Mephibosheth. And most people would have thought, he's going to kill him. He's going to kill off any remnant of the king who previously reigned. And David finds Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth says this. He thinks of himself maybe like yeast. He says, what does the king want with a dead dog like me? And David said, a dead dog? I'm not out to treat you like a dead dog. I want you at my table. David, a man after God's own heart, says, I want you at my table. And then you get to Joseph. Joseph, whose brothers had sold him into slavery. He, they put him in a pit. And years go by. And where does Joseph end up? In a palace. And the day comes where he gets face to face with his family who had betrayed him. And they realize it's him. And he says, what you, what you intended for evil, God used for good. You come to the New Testament. Disciples. You've got Saul, who would become Paul, who would breathe out murderous threats against the followers of Christ. And when God said, I want to use him, even, even Ananias, a man who followed God, had a relationship with Jesus, said, him? God said, yeah, him. You want to know why? Because the most unlikely candidate is redeemable. Tim Keller is a pastor of a church out in New York City, and he talks about this trip that he took to Europe one time, and he went to this cemetery that was just magnificent, but there was one gravesite in this cemetery that people would flock to see, and it was this grave of this man who, uh, over a century ago, it was a couple centuries ago, he had wanted nothing to do with God, and he was intent on making sure that he would have nothing to do with God in life but that he would have nothing to do with God in death. And so what he did was he arranged for a giant, once, once his casket was placed in the ground, he arranged for a giant concrete slab to be put over his grave. And his thinking was, if and when there's a resurrection of the dead, I won't be able to get through the concrete. Well, that, is, that was associated with that kind of thinking for a while. But about 50 years went by, and people noticed there was this crack in the concrete. And coming up through the crack was this tree. And they realized that whether it was during burial or maybe it was there before, an acorn was down below. And it had made its way through this crack. And so Tim Keller said people come to see this gravesite all the time because this grave that was so associated with a man who wanted nothing to do with God, now people stand at the grave and they go, oh my goodness, look what God did. 
the most unlikely candidate is redeemable. There's a third thing in these, in these parables I want you to see, and it's simply this, that with God, the plan for growth is incredible. The smallest beginning is valuable. The unlikeliest candidate is redeemable. The plan for growth is incredible. Let's read this again. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of all garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now, what's so interesting about mustard seeds is that mustard seeds grow into mustard plants. The idea that a mustard seed would become a full-grown tree, that just seems too beyond its limitations. It just seems too much. And oftentimes, I hear myself, and I hear people around me talking the same way. We think, well, maybe, maybe I could grow here. Maybe I could grow here. But Jesus says, no, the mustard seed becomes not just a bush. It becomes a tree, so much so that the birds of the air can actually perch in its branches. And what we like to do when we talk about ourselves like this is we like to say, well, I'm just a realist. I'm just being objective. Look, objectivity is great. But in so many ways, we can limit him because we think we know the scope of growth. He says, now with me, the plan is incredible. It really is incredible. Many of you maybe have heard the story, and there's actually a book out about it called The Red Paperclip, and it's about a man named Kyle McDonald. And Kyle McDonald was struggling for money, and so he decided, instead of trying to earn the money, what if I tried to barter my way up? And so starting with a red paperclip, he went to somebody, and he was able to trade that red paperclip for like a fish-shaped pen, and he was able to take that fish-shaped pen and trade that for a doorknob. And he went through a few more trades, and suddenly what started as a red paper clip, he now had a uh, Coleman stove, kept trading up, kept trading up. He ended up with a Budweiser sign and a keg of beer. Many people would have stopped there, okay? But he kept going, kept going. He ended up with a car, ended up with a motorhome, traded the motorhome for a part, not even a speaking part, a part in a Hollywood movie. Until finally, he traded that part in a Hollywood movie for a home in Saskatchewan, Canada. One red paperclip. If God can do that with a red paperclip, if God can do that with a mustard seed, you think he can do something with the smallest of our beginnings? with our lives? Of course he can, because that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And finally, not only is the plan for growth with him incredible, but these parables tell us, as we'll see in just a moment, that the furthest distance is reachable. The furthest distance is reachable. One more time, verse 33, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, two things I want you to see there. 60 pounds of flour. How many of you in here cook or bake? 60 pounds of flour. What is she making? <laughs> I mean, you can, feed a, you can feed this county with 60 pounds 
a flour. What is she making? And yet just a little bit of yeast. But the other thing in there that is so important to see is he says it worked all through the dough. No part of that dough, that massive quantity of dough, no part unaffected. You know what Jesus says? When the leaven, when the yeast that is the kingdom of God gets into our lives, you know what it does? It works all through. All through your school. All through our families. All through our neighborhoods. All through our workplace. All through our teenage years. All through our young adult years. All through our middle age years. All through our, as we say it here at the church, best years yet, right? All through. All through our culture. Because that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And Jesus says, that's for today. You can walk through today. And it can work all through. All through. All through. I was so reminded of this. The uh, men's ministry here at the church a couple months ago had a speaker come in, a man named Ali. And Ali lives in Turkey. And Ali used to be a Muslim who had converted to Christianity. And as he sat and talked, I just thought it was so, so interesting. Because he talked about his conversion. You know what did it for him? He had been invited to dinner in the Middle East to a Christian's house to a Christian family's house, and as they sat at dinner, he said it was, it was the most incredible thing. The thing that jumped out to him, the, the yeast of the kingdom of heaven that got hold of him, was when the man, the Christian man, got up from the table. I know, I shouldn't be telling you this on Father's Day, okay? But when the Christian man got up from the table, and he took all the dishes away, and he took care of the dishes, and all he said in our in our faith, that does not happen. The woman does that. And yet Jesus, what did he do? Jesus upheld the value of men, women, and children. He said, no, you serve. You serve. And in serving, you actually give people a picture of what God did for them in sending his son here to the earth. All through the dough. So today, today and every day, you want to see what's possible for God? It starts with every single one of us going, I have to look past what's visible to me. It means that the smallest beginning is valuable, that the unlikeliest candidate is redeemable, that the plan for growth is incredible, and that the furthest distance is reachable. If I want to see what's possible for God, I've got to look past what's visible for me and to me. Now, here, here's how you know if you're on, on track with that. You've got to be able to answer a question. As you think about these parables, it's a simple question. Was Jesus exaggerating? Was Jesus exaggerating? We would talk about this in seminary. There are scholars who they point out that Jesus would use parable, he'd use stories like this, but he'd also use hyperbole. Hyperbole is like these exaggerated statements. And I remember thinking... Jesus, were you exaggerating? Were you exaggerating when he said some of these different statements? Because Jesus preceded this whole, this whole topic here with the kingdom of heaven is like. He says, I want you to know 
the reach of, and the nature of, and the growth of, and the beginnings of. Was he exaggerating? As you think through those two parables we just read, was he exaggerating? I mean, think about his story for a minute. It's a seed of a beginning. Isaiah said he was nothing to look at. It started in a town that was totally overlooked, Nazareth. It's a seed of a beginning. And then Jesus, that seed would fall to the ground and he would die. And what would come from it? This growth of life. Life would come from the seed falling to the ground and dying. And what would happen as a result of it? The unlikeliest of candidates, that's you and that's me, would be redeemed. We'd be redeemed by it. And if you keep going, he, he used these, these candidates that nobody would have thought were redeemable. He says, you know, I'm going to use them like the, that's the church. That's going to be like yeast. It's going, to, it's going to be like a mustard seed that grows into a tree. It's going to grow so much that the birds of the air, that all creatures will be attracted to it to perch on its branches. And it'll go all through the world all through the centuries, so much so that we now sit here this morning as a result of that story. So was Jesus exaggerating? That's a question we've got to answer in two places. One is in the mirror. When you and I wake up every single day, you you want to walk through today a different way? We've got to answer that question in the mirror. Was Jesus exaggerating? Because too often, you know what we do? You know what mirror we look in? Social media or email or text. And we say, I'm not productive enough. I'm not doing enough. Why? Because we're comparing. We're comparing because that's what's visible to us. If I could speak to the men in the room for a moment, I know, I, and it's Father's Day, but men, I believe that we are hardest on ourselves. I believe we're hardest on ourselves. Do we see our beginnings as valuable? Do we see ourselves as redeemable? Do we see the growth God has for us as incredible? And do we see the distances he wants to take and use us and use his word in our own lives as reachable with him? And even as a church, as we look into the mirror, we have some small beginnings coming. You'll hear more about those as we get toward fall. But there's some small beginnings that I just believe because of what Jesus said. I don't think he was exaggerating. I think he has some things he wants to do here with this church, with some very valuable beginnings. And again, we'll we'll hear more as we get toward fall. But the other place we've got to answer this question is not just in the mirror, but as we look out the window, as we look at other people, because we, as those who know the gospel, who have many in here accepted and received that gospel and trusted in Christ as our Savior, we of all people should be able to look at the people and the circumstances and the situations in front of us and recognize a small beginning and recognize an unlikely candidate and the potential for growth and the distances that can be reached regardless of what those distances are. Or, or we can decide, well, Jesus was exaggerating. And if Jesus was exaggerating, then I'll just go with what's visible right now, in front of me right now. I had a 
classmate at Denver Seminary. It, it was the most peculiar story of ever getting to seminary that I had ever heard. I mean, I thought mine was, was weird. Um, you know, a lot of people show up at seminary, they've got these undergrad degrees in biblical studies and stuff like that, and I had accounting. And so when people heard that, they looked at me funny. But this guy, he had a, he had a, a degree, and I can't remember what it was in, but I said, oh, how did you end up here? And this man, I won't share his name or anything, but he, he, came, he said, well, I, I was a manager of an adult entertainment store. I went, what? And you're at seminary? Which the rest of the class looked at him too. I mean, he was sharing this in front of the class. And he said, yep. But one day, somebody walked in. They didn't look around at anything we sold. And they came to me and said, God wants to reach you. And they gave him their phone number, and he waited three months. Called that person because he just never forgot it. It was such a small beginning. Called the person, and the person sat down with him, and he said, you have no idea what God wants to do with your life. And they began meeting. And the gospel began growing in this man's heart. And this man that maybe never would have even seen the doors of the seminary, I just messaged with him about six months ago, just graduated and was called to be a pastor in a church out in the Midwest. Seeing what's possible for God means looking past what's visible to me. In the book of Lamentations, in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah says, the Lord's compassions never fail. His mercies are new every morning. Can you feel how small yet valuable that beginning is? Or is that an exaggeration? In the book of John, that verse that we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, can you hear the redemption in that word? Whoever whoever. Is that an exaggeration? Jesus, talking to some people one day, said, I have come that you'd have life and have it to the full. To the full. Can you hear the growth in that word, to the full? Or is that an exaggeration? And then God's word tells us, one day, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee. Knees in heaven, knees on earth, knees from centuries ago, knees right now, knees in the future. Can you hear the reach of that word? Or is that an exaggeration? I'm gonna invite up the worship team. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father. Thank you, thank you for a seed of a passage today, Lord. Three verses, and yet that seed contains your entire story. It contains a small beginning. It contains, really, what would seem like such an unlikely candidate, just three verses, and yet we see the nature of your kingdom in it, the plan for growth, the reach of it all. And so I pray 
that as we look at these three verses, we would turn and look at our lives this day and every single day. As we look in the mirror and we look out the window, as we look at ourselves and we look at other people, God, please deepen in us, deepen in us that your possibilities are not limited to what is to our visibility. And so carry that with us. Remind us that we can truly choose your kingdom this day and every day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.